Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is there any way, any way you see the Bucks keeping Gerald McCoy? And which defensive backs drafted in the last two or three years most likely won't make the 53-man roster this season. Is it a make-or-break year for general manager Jason Light? Hey, what about the Rays? They're doing great. But could they be even better if they had Craig Kimbrell? Your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on a brand new quality train air conditioning unit or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, millionaire. All right, Steve, so a lot of uh, interesting mailbag questions. Of course, many of them focused on the NFL draft and the Buccaneers, and that's to be expected. We'll also talk a little raise, too, but let's get it started. All right, we'll start with Gators number one with a positive question. He says, I hope I am wrong. This draft has the feel of a disaster. I do like Devin White. (laughs) Okay, easy now. Um, I would say, like, Hurricane Michael was a disaster, okay? Um, you know, there are real life disasters and then there is the perceived disaster that is any given team's draft. And I think, you know, they're having the same sort of meltdown maybe with the New York Giants right now. But I think this, that you can't really judge any draft. I don't care what one it is, you know, immediately after the players are picked. Let them get in here first. In fact, let them get in here and play a year. No, I'll tell you what, let them play a couple of years before we can look back maybe even as many as three, and say whether or not any of these guys were good picks or not. Um, On the surface, you know, I think most people universally would agree that Devin White's going to be a very, very good player. He's certainly going to be in position to make plays. And and if you get the first draft pick right, it always helps, right? Because you don't want to miss on your first rounder, especially a top five. I think people are going to be really happy with Devin White when the season is over, assuming he stays healthy. And they'll be even happier three years from now when they see – you know, the kind of player he's going to become because I think he's going to be a guy that goes to a number of Pro Bowls. Now, having said all that, um, you just don't know with defensive backs. You know, I I always say this. I go back to Ronnie Barber's rookie season, and I'm here to tell you, and I think Ronnie would agree with me, I don't think I've seen a worse defensive back that the Bucs have had drafted that high um, as a rookie. He was was really bad. In fact, they, they stopped playing him at a certain point in the regular season. They went back to him in the postseason against Green Bay, and then the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, is a top 25 fine, or top twenty-five. I think he made uh, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he's going to be in the Ring of Honor one day, probably this year. So you can't really judge anything necessarily, even on their rookie years. You know, we, we still don't really know what Carlton Davis is. We don't really know who Jordan Whitehead is. These guys played a lot of football last year. Um, doesn't look like 
you know, they're going to be superstars necessarily, and that might be why the Bucks went ahead and drafted some other defensive backs. But I don't think it's as grim as people think. I, I think that they got some actually some pretty good players, and I think that people, just because they're not household names, um, might be underestimating him. A guy like Sean Bunting from Central Michigan, he's not somebody you saw on Saturdays very often because he played, you know, in a non-Power 5 conference. But he's really very, very good. I mean, this guy was a playmaker. He's physical. He can do some things. I mean, James Dean, the corner from Auburn, I think is, uh, you know, sort of a, a little bit of a risk because of the injury situation. But, again, the speed is incredible. Mike Edwards may emerge as a starter this year at safety. We don't know really what's going on with uh, Justin Evans at safety. He hasn't practiced as far as the offseason goes and ended the year on IR with a turf toe injury. But – this guy has has great range. He could even play corner if you needed him to. Uh, you just again, you know, and and the whole kicker thing. We'll address that in a minute. But I think that uh, you know it's possible that Matt Gay is their guy and 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 could be solid. Scott Miller, who's a wide receiver from Bowling Green, might might become uh, you know Deshaun Jackson like or Adam Humphreys like or somebody that can you know fill in the slot, stretch the field, make plays all over the place. And he was a sixth round pick. And then this Terry Beckner guy that they got in the seventh round is only there because of some of the injuries that he's sustained, but otherwise a really good player at Missouri. So you, uh, you, just, you may look back at this and go, wow, they really found some things. I mean, you know, let's just say this. You know, the best draft that Jason Light has had, okay, was Jameis Winston. And why? Well, it's that 215 class started with the first overall pick. And most people would say, hey, even though Jameis hasn't really you know, done what, what everybody hoped he would do in terms of winning games – he still looks like a guy that, that could make it in the NFL as a franchise quarterback. So no, not, not a lot. I mean, the jury is still out on him a little bit, but no one would have made a different pick other than maybe Marcus Mariota, and they're kind of in the same boat in terms of their careers. But after that, Donovan Smith, a second-round pick left tackle out of Penn State, nobody was clanging the bells for him. Some people don't think he's very good now, but you know what? Uh, they just paid him a ton of money. He's, he's been their left tackle and hasn't missed a game in four years. Who was, who was ringing the bell for Ali Marpet? You know, I mean, really? Ali Marpet, a guy from a Division II school that, you know, most people didn't even hear of until the NFL Combine? Uh, you know, and Quan Alexander was a fourth-round pick out of LSU. I don't remember everybody saying, wow, we got a steal with Quan Alexander. The guy wasn't even supposed to start. They had Bruce Carter, who they had gotten from Dallas, was supposed to be their Mike linebacker and as a free agent. People were stoked about that. And it turns out Quan Alexander started as a rookie. Uh, you know, so you just you don't know. And that was the 2015 draft outside of Jameis, who really knew what these other guys would do. So, no, I don't know that it's, you know, it's the disaster that some people perceive it to be. Are there positions you wish they would have addressed? Yes. Could they find some guys, some of these undrafted guys that are essentially the same as the fifth and sixth and seventh round draft picks and, you know, for whatever reason didn't make it? Yeah, there could be some steals there. Adam Humphreys was a tryout player. So you just got to kind of wait and see. But I'm not, I'm not ready to, you know, proclaim it, you know, just in the, the absolute worst draft in the NFL. And, in fact, I think I've seen, you know, ranges of anywhere from, you know, top 11 or 12 all the way towards the bottom of the draft just based on these so-called experts that like to grade things right after the picks are in. But, um, no, my, my answer is I, I, I'm not willing to proclaim it a disaster right now. All right, John asked, the Bucks draft went a little differently than many thought it would. How much of a role did the pre-draft minicamp play in their decision-making? 
Was it just to confirm what they already thought about the current roster or something more? Well, we won't know exactly, but I, I think that's why you have those the ex, the new coaches get to have an extra mini camp before the drafts because they're not as familiar with their team. Obviously, they've not had them on the grass yet. They've watched a lot of film, but I think it did have an impact. And if I if I had to guess, I would think that you know defensive back is one of those areas they didn't feel real comfortable about. And you know, there's a reason why you go out and you draft you know three more defensive backs. Two, two corners and a safety who could also play corner if you needed them to. You know, and the other element I think that you see in this draft, especially with those defensive backs, is speed. You know, it's possible that they looked out there and had watched the tape and, you know, realized that you know, they don't have a lot of fast guys in the secondary. You know, so that, that seems to have been a, a common thread with the guys that they signed, especially Jamel Dean, um, you know, Mike Edwards, all those guys can really, really run. So I think maybe that was something that, that was lacking. But overall, you know, you can't really evaluate the offensive linemen. Uh, they didn't go hard after that, but I don't think that's because, you know, they were convinced in, in three minicamp practices that, you know, Alex Kappa is the answer and we're okay there. So I, wouldn't, I just don't think it fell that, the right way for them as far as the offensive line goes, as far as they were concerned. Now other people might have done something different and they valued the defensive backs more in terms of players, but – um, I think the big tell would probably have been in the defensive secondary because that's where they seem to focus. And I don't think you do that if you feel you got it covered, uh, especially from a depth standpoint. They may like Carlton Davis. We know they like Vernon Hargraves. They've stated that. But Vernon Hargraves has not been healthy. He's played five games in two years. Okay, so as much as they may like Vernon, you have the injury history. Um, Carlton is coming off you know, a rookie season that was sort of uneven. MJ Stewart is out there. They're not sure where he plays. They're talking about moving him to safety. They had him playing some nickel, trying to see if they got a nickel corner in there somewhere. So I think, you know, there's still some questions that they have about their secondary, and that's why they drafted him. But other than that specific tell, I'm not sure there was much I can glean from the draft that would tell me, you know, they, they weren't happy with what they saw in minicamp. All right, Lee asked, why did they spend a fifth-round pick on a kicker? And how on earth was the running back position not addressed, given the absolute dearth of quality at the position on our roster? Well, those are all good questions. Uh, we've talked about the kicker a little bit. And, um, you know, it's unusual to draft a kicker. I don't know that it's unusual to draft a guy that wins a Lou Groza. They've done it twice now. I would just say that this is, remember now, this is not a second-round pick. This is a, a fifth-round pick. And if you look at Jason Light's history, not that many fifth-rounders, actually, that he has chosen to make the team. That might be more of an indictment on Jason. But they do much better, I think, with undrafted free agents. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. I think sometimes, you know, these guys are very similar in terms of, of their abilities. And, you know, you just don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, I, I question the whole Matt Gay uh, drafting only because – you know, they, they spent $3 million on a punter in Bradley Pinion, and I think the reason why they had to spend that much is that he is one of the few punters that actually kicks off. And why is that important? Well, because they had signed Cairo Santos to be their place kicker, and one of his weaknesses is kicking off. And so you actually, you know, make the, the place kicker better when he doesn't have to spend time in practice and exert himself and, and expose himself to possible injury by kicking off all the time. And then you go out and then you draft the Lou Groves Groza winner uh, from Utah. Now, this is a big guy, you know, powerful leg. You hear that every time you hear the same thing about Roberto Aguayo in terms of, 
his accuracy and his leg strength and all that, and it just didn't work out. So I'm not sure. My guess is Bruce Arians has gone gone through some kicking woes of his own in Arizona. Um, you know, he had Chandler Cananzaro and cut him out there when he missed some extra points, and that's how he ended up going to the Jets, and now he's back with the Jets. So I suppose that, you know, Bruce values the place-kicking game and values having one, and, you know, I guess he wasn't that stoked about Cairo Santos maybe, but, you know, at the end of the day, he, he got the best kicker in college football and he got him a little bit early. But if he turns out to be a 10-year player, then no one's going no one's gonna cry about it. It's just, you know, as Jason Light said, if he was a wide receiver and you picked him in the fifth round and a guy didn't make it, nobody would be crying that you shouldn't take another wide receiver. I mean, there's only one place kicker, and he's going to lead your team in scoring. Think about that. So you're dra- you just drafted the leading scorer on your football team. So that's fairly important. So I, I don't, I'm not one that would advocate drafting kickers because, quite frankly, the, the difference between the best in the league and the worst in the league is only about two or three field goals, to be honest with you. And so, you know, you don't necessarily win more games just because you've spent draft capital on a kicker. It's nice to have one, and the Bucks have been struggling with that. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not real sure because I think they had other needs there. All right, we got several questions about Gerald McCoy, and I'll kind of sum them up from Allie yeah. and Cotton and Irish Buck fans. But with McCoy still being on the roster after the draft, what are the options? Do the Bucks simply have to cut him to make cap room to sign their draft class, or is there a way they could actually hold on to him, and how would they make up that cap space? Well, there is a way. It's uh... – you know, it's by cutting players. And, you know, remember, a lot of these guys that are on the roster now will lose their jobs to younger guys in part because they make too much money and because they have a new defense. I mean, we don't know, for example, let's say you were inclined to keep Gerald McCoy at $13 million, which I still maintain they're not. But, you know, the question is, can you can you keep McCoy? And the answer is yes. Um, you probably need 7 or 8 or $9 million for your draft class. But if you were inclined to do so, you know, you've got a guy like William Golson who's kind of been, you know, out of position a little bit. How does he fit the 3-4? He was a 4-3 defensive end. Is he a guy that can play in that scheme? You're talking about $3.75 million from him. You've got Blaine Gabbert, who they just signed. There's no dead money with these guys if you cut them, by the way. You're going to keep probably two, maybe three quarterbacks, but what if the third quarterback is a young guy? What if it's not? What if you decide you don't need both both Ryan Griffin and Blaine Gabbert? So maybe that saves you some money. Evan Smith is trying to make it back from some hip injuries. He's worth $2 million. Maybe you feel like you've got better guys uh, either in free agency or you know the numbers just don't work out for him. Now, I know they didn't draft a lot of people, but they do have some un- undrafted free agents that they signed as rookies. They also have Earl Watson, who's going to play guard. So, you know, that might be a guy that comes in and, and takes somebody's job. So there's a lot of options there. Uh, you have a 53-man roster. Only the 53 top highest salaries take precedence. And so, you know, could you get enough to sign your draft picks? Yes. Would that leave you anything else? Probably not. And the thing is, you need more than just the money to sign the draft picks because you want to be able to take advantage of the free agent wire. If some player gets cut and you want to pick him up at his current salary, you have to have money on the salary cap to do that. We won't know ultimately what's happening with Gerald McCoy. I've said that I don't think he's playing for $13 million. You know, he wasn't traded. That's a significant thing. They went through the whole draft. Nobody offered him enough for them to part with him. 
they know, you know, Gerald doesn't have a choice if, if he, you know, is under contract for the $13 million and he wants to play football, it has to be in Tampa Bay. But if they come to him and say, you know, and I'm sure they have already about, you know, taking about a reduced salary or whatever, then it's sort of up to him and his agent where they want to do that or roll the dice and be able to pick which team they go to. And I still maintain that there's some going to be some team out there that's probably waiting for him to get cut. I think one of the reasons why you probably didn't see him go during the draft for draft picks is that most teams think that, you know, the Bucks are not keeping Gerald McCoy and they will simply wait for him to get cut and then be able to renegotiate a new deal with him that's more cap friendly. And there's a lot of teams that have cap room. Indianapolis Colts is one that has a need um, for a three technique and they're more of a contending team probably than the Bucks are. So, you know, th- but there are ways. I mean, there are definitely ways to sign your draft picks. You just have to make some other cuts, uh, maybe restructure a few contracts if you can do that. You have some high-salaried guys like Mike Evans and others. So, you know, there's a chance that you could create some cap space. But I, I just, again, I don't sense, you know, when you listen to Bruce Arians over the weekend and Jason Light and they talk about their defense, they mentioned, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul. They mentioned Vita Vea. They mention, you know, Carl Nassib. They mention, you know, Bo Allen. They mention all kinds of players. They never brought up the name Gerald McCoy. It just doesn't happen when you talk about their defense. Levante, David, and Justin, and all these guys, Vernon Hargraves, they all get mentioned, but McCoy does not. I don't think that's a coincidence. I, I feel this team has gone is going the other direction, but we'll wait and see. I mean, as of right now, he's a Buccaneer. All right, we got a couple questions on the offensive line. Uh, Les specifically asked, with a team that has a quarterback in a prove-it year and had a terrible run game last year, has a new coach who likes to send out five guys in routes and has an average offensive line drafted no offensive linemen. How does that happen? Or And Jason follows up, or do they feel good about the guys they currently have in the offensive line that struggled so bad last year? I don't think they feel great about it. I mean, I, I think that Bruce Arians just says many times that we got to shore up the right side of the offensive line. I think they're okay with Ryan Jensen. They're more than okay with Ali Marpet. And obviously, they signed Donovan Smith to an enormous contract, so they've got to be very okay with him. But DeMar Dotson is going into his, like, 11th or 11th year, I think it is. Uh, you know, he has struggled with injuries with his knees. He's had surgery on both of them. You know, at times uh, he's missed games over the last few years. Caleb Benenocht was sort of a turnstile at guard last year. That's why they're moving him back to right tackle. So he's not going to play guard. So, you know, to me it is a concern. Now, you know, what have they done? Well, they still got DeMar Dotson. They still got Benenocht at tackle. Uh, Earl Watford is a guy they signed who used to play for Bruce, was drafted by Arians with the Cardinals. They think that he could compete or maybe even win a starting job at guard. We mentioned Evan Smith is supposed to come back at some point. Alex Kappa looks to me like sort of a swing guy that could play guard or tackle in a pinch. I'm not sure he's going to win a starting job or that he's ready to win one. So, you know, it's it's not what I thought they would do in the offensive line. I thought that they would address it. Um, they did not. Now, you know, they, they did go into – you know, they went into the undrafted uh, rookies situation and they tried to find some guys there. So I don't think it's completely over yet as far as competition goes. And there also will be this. There's going to be a secondary market. You know, don't forget now, all these teams are looking for cap space and some of them to sign their draft picks like the Bucks. And when they get to minicamp and they get these guys in, there's going to be some some sort of high price. We saw We saw this with New England every year. 
where an offensive lineman or two sometimes will fall off the roster in June simply because, you know, they get the guys in and they realize we're going to go with a younger player or what have you. And then you'll typically see some some tackles fall out of the trees or some guards that are veteran guys. And, you know, you'll be able to start from zero with them and negotiate a new contract. So now Jason keeps saying it's not over, it's not over, it's not over. There's also waiver wire, you know, when teams start to cut players at the start of the season. I mean, we saw last year one of the Bucks' best defensive linemen wasn't on the roster until the first week of the season. It was Carl Nassib. He got cut by the Cleveland Browns, and the Bucks claimed him off waivers, and their waiver claim was higher than anybody else that had claimed him. So they got him, put him in the lineup. He ends up with six and a half sacks now. He's their starting, you know, outside linebacker. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On one spot, opposite JPP. So, you know, it's not over. They're, they're going to continue to look, but the draft was certainly not a place that they used to, uh, to help their offensive line. Scotty asks, which of the defensive backs drafted in the last two to three years are most likely not to make the final 53 roster? Well, it's a great question. First of all, they keep nine or ten. I mean, typically it's ten, okay? So there's a lot of defensive backs on the team. If you're just talking about last year, you know, I think one of the reasons people, uh, one of the reasons the Bucks drafted these guys is because what they didn't like is their lack of depth. You know, they've said that they like Vernon Hargraves, but he played one game last season. He's played five games in two years. So can you count on a guy that, that has consistently been hurt? Well, some of it's unlucky, some of it's not. If he stays on the field, they like him, he's in the lineup. But you still have the possibility of an injury. And when he did get hurt, they didn't. what they didn't like was the depth. I mean, they drafted three rookies last year, and they had to play them a, a total of 40 games. That's way more games than they intended to play, you know, Carlton Davis and Jordan Whitehead and uh, MJ Stewart. And so – you know, because of that, they said to themselves, what, what, what is our depth at defensive back? You know, well, they were playing Devontae Harris. Uh, they claimed Andrew Adams, who had three interceptions in one game and ended up leading the team in interceptions with four last year. Uh, he's no longer here. They played, you know, Ryan Smith, who has kind of gone back from safety to corner and back again. But Ryan is sort of a fill-in player, kind of a guy that backs up one of those positions. So, you know... I, I don't know that there's going to be, you know, the odd man out. Could it be like an Isaiah Johnson who played safety a little bit last year? It's not going to be Justin Evans, I can tell you that. He's going to survive. Could Jordan Whitehead possibly find himself in a pinch? Or MJ, more likely MJ Stewart, I think, would be the guy. If I had to pick the three last year, who's most vulnerable? I think it's probably MJ simply because he doesn't have a position. If he can't play in the slot and nickel and he can't play safety, they don't like him all that much at corner. So he might get squeezed a little bit. But, you know, you, because you have such a number of players back there, 10 in fact, I think there's a good chance that both last year's draft class and this year's draft class co coexist. I don't know that it's going to be somebody with big name recognition that ends up getting cut as a result of it. All right, Buck North asks, which players do you think will have trouble succeeding in the new defense and new offense that Bruce Arians brings? says, I'm partial to fellow Canadian Anthony Eau Claire, 
but he doesn't appear to be a good fit for the Arians' offense. Well, I don't know about Eclair. I mean, Bruce Arians likes to run the football. Eclair's probably one of the better inline blockers, so I think that there'll be a role for him. He's their third tight end. So we'll have to see how Bruce uses the other two. He's going to use Brait and O.J. Howard at the same time. You know, that'll certainly limit Eclair's reps, but I still think that, you know, Anthony can do some things in the run block game, and that's kind of what Bruce has used the tight end for. So it would just depend on what the, the down and distance is, you know, as to, uh, as to just exactly how they do that. As far as defense, the guy that I would be most interested in is Jason Pierre-Paul. You know, I, I'm just anxious to see because the New York Giants, I think in part because they were going to a 3-4 and because JPP was, you know, pushing 30 years old and made a good salary, 12.5, I think that's why they traded him. And – so now he comes to the Bucs and he plays in the defense he was familiar in playing with. He has a great year with 12 and a half sacks. And now they switch to a 3-4. So, uh, you know, how much do you have him, if at all, drop into coverage? Is he somebody that's going to have range? We know he can play the run. We know he's durable. He's a guy that doesn't come to OTAs typically. So is he going to learn the defense? And, and it's going to be enough for him because in the past he was always playing in the same defense. So there wasn't a big curve. Now you wonder how exactly that's going to work. So I think, you know, that's certainly one guy that I would sort of point out. I think Noah Spence is somebody that will go on the other side. I think he'll actually thrive in this defense and was sort of a miscast for a 4-3. I think he's more of an outside linebacker type in a 3-4 that can, you know, not the biggest guy in the world but can use his speed and, and do some things on the outside even if you drop him into coverage or whatnot. So there are going to be some, you know, some square pegs and round holes here, and that's sort of what training camp is about. I don't know that there's any, you know, single player that you say, well, this guy, he's not going to be able to play at all in this defense. I think the, the, the brilliance of any coach, and especially Todd Bowles, is just finding things that guys can do. And in this defense, because they use some, it's such a matchup defense and they bring pressure from everywhere and, you know, they, they cover up each other's, you know, sort of deficiencies if you're blitzing linebackers then you need safeties that cover so you know maybe you got a safety that's not good against the run but he can cover and so you can use him in certain situations I just think you're going to see them you know put guys in different positions and be very flexible in terms of who's on the field and so I, I think they'll make the best use of this of this group of talent that they have here I, I really haven't identified anybody that can't play it but um, you know, JPP was, is one that I'd be watching very closely just to see uh, sort of how he adapts to it at this stage of his career. All right, Stephen asks, is this a make-or-break year for Jason Light? The Bucks have had one winning season, haven't had a solid draft top to bottom in a couple of seasons, and are in bad shape in regards to cap space under Light's tenure. Is he on a short lease for beyond this season? Well, I think they all are. Yeah, sure. Um, you're hired to get fired in this business. And Jason has been here for five years, going on six now, and has made the playoffs zero times and has one winning season. So that's, that's not a great resume for success. And this is the third head coach he's been associated with. You know, Lovey sort of hired him. So I'm not sure you count that. But then he went and hired, you know, Dirk Cutter, and now he's hired Bruce Arians. Now you have to wonder, Bruce Arians – is here in no small part because he likes Jason and he trusts him and he's worked with him before. So, you know, if Bruce is going to be here for an extended period of time, does he want another GM? Is that even something that he would entertain? I'm not, I'm not sure I know the answer to it. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, 
I expect Bruce to to keep this job for at least two to three years. And and because of that, I, I would expect Jason to sort of be there with him. But there's no guarantee of that. You know, if they start trusting Bruce over Jason, I think, you know, the stated reason why Jason is back, according to, to Joel Glazer when I talked to him at the league meetings, was he thought that he's done some good things in the draft. That can be argued perhaps, but every other year he seems to have done better than the, than the previous year. Um, so he's about 50% on the draft. And then, you know, he, he wanted the continuity. He, if he got rid of the coach and got rid of the GM, they essentially would have new people walking in the building that they have no relationship with and can't trust. Now, they didn't know Jason when Lovey hired him, but they got to know him because Lovey was here for a couple of years, and by the time they made the change, they, they totally trusted Jason and what he had done. But I think as long as – I think a minimum of, of two years with Bruce to see what happens to the quarterback, you know, uh, what happens to the team? Is it starting to make the turn? Is Jason the right guy to help pick talent? But, um, I, yes, the answer is it's absolutely – it's a critical year for everybody because especially if you're Jason Light and you've gone this long without any playoff success or any teams in the playoffs. And then, remember, you're the one that hired Bruce Arians. So he's sort of responsible for how Bruce does. So absolutely it's an important year for him. All right, we'll wrap it up on this one. Cotton had a question about the Rays. He says, the Rays are going great, but how much better could it be with Craig Kimbrell coming out of the pen in the ninth? Imagine three innings of Castillo, Alvarado, and Kimbrell with Stanek opening. You probably know a little bit more about this, Steve, than I do, but I think that they're committed right now at least to the back end of their bullpen, and there's probably factors why no teams have signed Craig Kimbrell, whether that's he's asking for a lot of money, there's some other considerations about signing him before, you know, the the June draft. So that could be that could be a, a possibility. Yeah. So he so Boston offered him a qualifying offer last season, which was one year at seventeen point nine million dollars. He turned that down. So the way the system works is anybody who signs him before the June amateur draft, which is usually June third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in that range, if you sign him before then, you have to give up a pick. For the Rays to sign him, you would have to give up your third draft pick in this draft, which I believe would be their second round pick because they got a competitive balance pick at the end of the first round. So in order to sign him, you'd have to give up that pick. And, and it, it varies from team to team what they'd give up because Rays receive revenue sharing. It's their third overall pick. If it was a team like the Yankees signing him who do not get revenue sharing, then they would actually lose their second overall pick in the draft. Yeah, that's so big. It, kind of screwy the way it works and all this stuff. But the essential thing is, is Craig Kimbrell to sign any team that signs him is going to have to give up a top, you know, third round pick, second round pick, most likely, depending on what picks they have in the draft. Secondly, Craig Kimbrell supposedly has been demanding that he pitches the ninth inning, which a team like the Rays isn't going to commit to that, I wouldn't imagine. I mean, no, they, they would, would probably pitch him in the ninth often, but mm-hmm. he may come in in the seventh or eighth if that's the high leverage situation. As as at Sunday, Alvarado came in the eighth inning to face the top of the lineup, and then Diego Castillo finished the ninth. That's right. That's right. It's a different deal. And look, all those teams are you know went into the season saying that they're going to try to get by with the guys on their roster. And if there's injuries, you you mentioned to me during the podcast before we got started about how the Braves could use somebody. They're a contending team. Yeah, their, their bullpen, bullpen is, is a mess, and they lost their closer for the season. Yeah, so that that's sort of what those those teams have to weigh. But again. We don't know what he's asking for in terms of, you know, compensation and number of years, all that stuff. 
far as the Rays go, I mean, they're sitting here with uh, they're they're starting to discover another late inning guy in Emilio Pagan. You know, they they used them the other day in the seventh because that was the highest leverage position, but he's closed a couple of two or three games in the last week or so. So their 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 track is usually, and if you look at them historically, they've always developed the end of the the back of their bullpen. You know what I mean? Like they've always sort of found guys. Um, and sometimes they were starters turned relievers, but they've always sort of found ways to 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 get the late inning people that were already in their in their organization. So you well, know, not always. I mean, reasons, you know, last year was Sergio Romo. That's true. You know, but Sergio um, did wasn't didn't become the primary closer though, did he? By late in the year, he did. I mean, he started. He was the first opener, if you remember. Yeah, uh, they that's moved, what, they, that was they moved him around role. a lot. But by the end of the year, he was the guy they relied on to close games. Yeah, Alvarado um, did it kind of late, I guess. He was doing. Um, they were they were they were using Alvarado a little bit, Stanek some, and Castillo as well. But yeah. Romo was really the guy that they said, you know, by the time the season was ending, he was the one they trusted the most in that role. Right. Um, and, and Fernando Rodney wasn't a race prospect either. That they no, he wasn't. You're right. You know, so so sometimes they find the guys. Sometimes they've developed. You know, luckily it looks like they're developing some in Alvarado and Castillo, and Stanek, and and now you know we'll see what Pagan can do. Well, I mean, all I know is they got so many great arms. I think I saw John Romano had written a story where I don't know it's the it's maybe the first, second, or third. I can't remember which um team in terms of, of, of velocity of their pitches you know for the pitching staff i believe the yankees um, are first the rays are second yeah so i mean that that says something there when you have that many power arms in your organization at the big league level i, I think i think there's a really good chance you develop those guys yourself and you know rather than and we know the rays aren't a big revenue team i mean kimbrell's got to be asking for a ton i mean you know if some of these big market teams haven't signed them then i i don't see the rays going that route but well, well, don't forget the Rays and Stu Sternberg has said they have money to sign players if they need to this year. They do. And as they continue to build this lead that they've got right now and the record that they have, rest assured that they're, they're going to be looking to add, not subtract. Look, I mean, they're going to come a point where they will add. Neil Solance and I were talking about this the other day, that you know, as long as the Rays are being this successful and they're 18-9 and nine and winning two out of every three games and they've got some pretty big leads in games, that they can put a lot of these young guys in the positions – you know, they can yes. send Emilio Pagan out there to try to save some games, which mm-hmm. maybe he's not your long-term closer. Maybe he's not what, that's not what you have him pegged for in your roster. But let's see what he can do. I mean, at some point, you've got to put young players in the position to try right. things to see if it, what they can handle, what they can do. Now, you don't want to put them in positions that you know they're not ready for yet. But right. you've got a three-run lead against the Red Sox, so you send Diego Castillo out for the ninth inning. But they went into this year saying, we're going to mm-hmm. do this. They mm-hmm. went into this year saying, we want to see what we have. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that if you, if you were to assign, if you assign Craig Kimbrell to start the year, he is your ninth inning closer. And you don't see guys you know, that you're seeing now. You maybe mm-hmm. don't see Alvarado in that situation, or you don't see Diego Castillo, or you don't see um, Emilio Pagan. You know? mm-hmm. And so you know, you, sometimes, and it's that way in football too, like, you know, in order to to let a young player develop, you have to get rid of the older guy, you know, or at least, you know, give the young guy an opportunity before you find a veteran to take his job. Because, you know, part of it is, and Bruce Arians has talked about this, like, how do you know what you got if he only gets six reps in practice? That's why Bruce is going to go to sort of two practices simultaneously. Um, it's the same thing in baseball. I mean, how do you know what you have if you don't put guys – in the position to succeed or fail and let and stay with it because they're not going to be 
you know, comfortable the first couple times out. You have to have, you know, sort of a, a philosophy that we're going to let this guy, you know, develop and it's going to be a process and we're going to run him out there and, and see what we got. So, you know, I would just say so far so good. I mean, if you're 18 and nine, are you looking to add today or are you going to be looking to add maybe in, a, in you know, later down the road or a couple of weeks, especially for all the reasons you mentioned? I mean, I'm not inclined if I'm the Rays when the lifeblood of my organization is the draft. I'm not inclined to give up my second draft pick um, unless I'm absolutely sure that I need this guy to, to make it to the postseason or the World Series. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, as long as you're being successful and, and, and doing what you're doing, there's no need to rush and give up a draft pick to sign him. Now, no. if it, there was no draft pick associated with it, maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe you'd sign him today. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I think Craig Kimball would be a fantastic addition to this staff. I'd love to see him on this in this bullpen. I'd love to see right. him even open a game here and there. Sure. I mean, I think yeah, I you, mean, you bring that out of the, you know, to start the game, add him and Stanek together. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I'd put Kimball there all the time because Stanek's doing such a wonderful job in that position. But you need a day where you want to do that? Go for it. It's pretty amazing, though, that the entire Major League Baseball has has not signed this guy, isn't it? Isn't there something? There's got to be something there, right? Well, and, and Dallas Keuchel's the same thing. I mean, you know, but he right. turned down a qualifying offer as well, so you don't want to lose the draft picks for it. Now, the, right. the question is, and especially with the Braves bullpen struggling, they blew a lead Saturday, that they're closer on the, the disabled list. Well, they finally say, you know what, we can't wait a month. We need him right. now. And, and granted, right. he used to play for the Braves, too, if you remember. That's where he came up and had a lot of success mm-hmm. to start his career, so... You know, will they will they say, okay, we need him now? You know, we can't wait. We'll give up the draft pick. Right. That, that, that's a great that, question. It, yep. Yeah, so really good questions. Yep, and that's sure all our about. questions. But before we go, we should also mention that the Rays are calling up Nate Lowe, not to be confused with Brandon Lau. Oh, even here we go. The same way. Here so we go. <laughs> Nate Lowe is being called up. He was the minor league player of the year for the Rays last season, so he'll be uh, in Kansas City tonight. For the game. And a guy that can hit the ball out of the park and do it in a way that what he hit one about 560 feet in spring training one day. Yes, he did. Yeah, he can crush the ball as well. Well, that's exciting. So for yeah, him, he's been called especially. up. So yeah, the Rays will be in Kansas City as they uh, roll on, having won every series except the Red Sox series where they're swept here at Tropicana Field. Just amazing start to their season at 18 and nine, and now you go to Kansas City, and then you're going to go to Baltimore, so a chance to get even healthier. Uh, in terms of playing some of the lower-rung teams, and if they can keep it going, by the time they get back, uh, well, we're we're through the month of April, and um, you know what a what a contrast to last year when you won 90 games and you had that horrible start to what you've got right now. So this has really been fun to watch if you're a Rays fan, and uh, I, I don't see them slowing down. I I think this this team is in it for the long haul as long as they can stay healthy. I mean, the starting pitching has carried them. Uh, the bullpen has had some moments where it wasn't as sharp as others. But for the most part, you know, as long as Blake Snell cannot drop any more things on his toe and Charlie Morton can continue to do what he's doing. And, look, Tyler Glass now is going to win the Cy Young. I mean, he's he's got to be pitcher of the month in the American League, right? 5-0, and oh, a 1.78 1. ERA. I haven't like looked that. at all the pitchers, but he's got to be way up there. Yeah. I mean, geez. I mean, you you couple him with Matt Snell, Blake Snell. I always call him Matt, Blake Snell, and then and then what Charlie Morton has done, uh, with the exception of one really bad inning, Charlie Morton has been lights out. He's he, like we talked about on this podcast before. He's had a lot of base runners. He's worked out of a lot of jams, but he's getting going out there giving you quality starts, and you know you feel comfortable with those three guys. And then the opener has certainly worked for them as well. So they've been able to sort of continue on with that. And I think as 
Snell now has to work himself back up in terms of getting deeper into games again with some of the – and you still don't know about that toe. I mean, his last outing was not that great. So you wonder, you know, if, if part of that's the residual of the pain that he was having or, you know, maybe not being able to throw just as, as hard as he wanted to or being a little timid about it. So that's still something to watch, right, with what Blake's going to do next time he's on the mound. All right, so the Rays are in Kansas City tonight. We'll be talking about that as well as this week at One Buck Place. We'll have a chance to sit down and for the first time really have a long discussion with some of the Bucks' 29 assistant coaches. That'll be on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, certainly, you know, people like Byron Leftwich, and we'll find out, uh, you know, more about what his plans are for the regular season. Uh, you know, just so many interesting stories over there on the coaching staff from Clyde Christensen, of course, the quarterback's coach, uh, you know, Todd Bowles and what he's going to do with his 3-4 defense and how he plans to incorporate the use of all those new defensive backs. So look forward to that as well. And remember, folks, I know you have a choice of air conditioning companies. you got to look up my folks at Millionaire. They've been here uh, for 30 years in Tampa Bay. Right now, they're currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100. Take advantage of their brand-new train quality air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance. That's 727-862-2100. Trust the masters of comfort, millionaire. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.